The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from various different places around Los Angeles this morning. A uh, special show today, a little bit different format. We're not going to um, start with the jargon. We're going to do the jargon later on today because we have a guest that uh, we need to get to almost immediately because her time is precious and valuable, and she's got other places to be. So I just wanna remind you that this show is interactive. We hope that you will participate, especially in today's conversation because we're gonna be talking about some stuff that at some point I imagine it's gonna get hard for some or all of us. Um, and that's just what we're here for today, right? Uh, wanna encourage you to write in in all the different ways that you wanna participate. We are live right now on YouTube Periscope. We are live on Twitter and we're live on Facebook. And later on, this will be podcast to all of those places, as well as iTunes, um, Deezer, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, as well as being on our own home website, which is autism-live.com. I'm hurrying because I want to get every minute I can of our guest, who's been very flexible with us. Um, I'm welcoming back to the show, Ifunanya, and she's going to tell me if I got it right or wrong, Nuwiki. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's like a three-year project I'm working on. Did I say it right? <laughs> you said you said the first name right, the last name. We're still working on it. <laughs> oh man, school me because I want to get it. How it's, do you say the last? You you, you swallow the N, so it's Ifunanya Weke. You like swallow the N. Weke. Okay, I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that. All right, I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, but this amazing young woman, we're so glad to have her. She is a mover and a shaker and um, someone who has chosen to be in our autism community and to bring her gifts to our autism community. She's the founder of an amazing organization, Jazz Hands for Autism, but you do a lot of things and you are a lot of things to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have you in my life because of the work that you do, and I mean that sincerely. Um, and because I'm just so grateful that young people like yourself um, would choose to be in our community. And you, and I know we've talked about this before and um, you choose to see that as your gift that you get to be in the autism community and work with these wonderful people, which just makes my day. I'm just gonna be honest about that. Um, you guys had a concert. Yeah, we had our first days ago. concert. Um, May 27, sorry. I'm a, I'm a crier, so if I if I, oh, I look at me, I'm already a mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a mess. Uh, um, we had our first virtual concert May 27. Um, and to this day, I'm just like, wow, we, I can't believe it actually happened. Um, and, and for many reasons. The first reason is um, 
just going 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 from ha you know being fully in person to uh, to moving all of our classes online uh, and then producing a concert an online concert that was it was an undertaking and you know i just want to just give you know just big props and big shout outs to our musicians who are just so flexible you know uh, many people think you know autism is you know people with autism are just so rigid and you know routine and of course th these things exist but our musicians uh just went above and beyond they they, they pushed themselves past their comfort zones to 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 you know for, for the concert to record and re-record until they, they 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 got a video that that you know that that they were happy with um and so it was it was a learning experience uh for our musicians it stretched us all of us including our musicians um and ultimately the result was wonderful so i'm just i'm so grateful um, for, for our musicians, you know, persistence and resilience. I'm so grateful for our team. We have a really wonderful team at Jazz Hands that, that really supported and, you know, uh, supported our musicians in, in, in putting that together and also just putting the actual, the whole project together. So, um, yeah, we're very excited. And, you know, now musicians can say, you know, I, 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 I am a digital musician. I, not only am I an in-person musician, but I'm a digital musician. So now they, they can put that on their resume that they know how to create videos from home and have it be professional video. So, um, so it, it's just, it was a growing and learning experience for everybody. So I'm just very grateful that we were able to, to do it. We have another one coming in November. The date is still to be determined, but we'll, we'll okay. be, uh, I'll be announcing that once we have more information. And, you know, if, if people want to get more information about Jazz Hands for Autism and the classes that you're doing online now, where should they go? Um, they, they can just visit our, our website, which is www.jazzhandsforautism.org. Um, and all of our classes that we offer in person are online, including, you know, things like music production, vocal training, everything like that are all online. And there were also finding ways for us to create opportunities within the digital space for our musicians to perform and to actually, you know, find work opportunities. So we've had musicians who've, you know, done like, you know, DJing, we're really capitalizing on our Instagram. We have like a really cool project coming out that I can't announce just yet, uh, but once I can, um, I'll definitely share it. It's a really, really cool project that's going to give our, our musicians an opportunity to be digital performers um, and be paid for it, uh, which, which is our whole goal is to, is to make sure that not only are our, our, our musicians developing these skills, but they can be compensated for their skills and their efforts and their talents. So um, yeah, just to find out more information about what we're doing, or if, if you're interested in our programs, um, just go on our website. We're online until September. Um, and then, but we're going to be very, um, cautious with our reopening because we want to make sure that you know our students our staff our musicians are all protected uh and that we are not you know creating a situation where people can get infected i appreciate that and we always have time and room on this show to talk about jazz hands for autism because it's an amazing thing that you've built and you. I, i'm just i feel so fortunate that I, I remember when you were just starting and, and to see what you have built and what you have done has just been so inspirational to me. So we, we love what you've done and we always have room to talk about what you're doing here, always. I, I also just wanna mention that it's, uh, it may seem as if it's, it's, a, it's a singular operation, but it's not. We have a really amazing team. Um, I'm not gonna cry, but whatever. It's, if I cry, that's fine. Uh, we have, a, our team is like, they're my favorite people in the world. Um, our team is just full of just passionate people who go above and beyond uh, to make sure that our musicians are learning. To, they, they go above and beyond in suggesting ways that we can be innovative. Um, so it's not just me. Literally, it's a team effort. Um, so Jazz Hands wouldn't be what it is if not for our really amazing team. So I'm really grateful uh, for everybody who is on our, on our staff, our board, and everybody who is just a part of the Jazz Hands family and the musicians who tell us where they want to go. So 
it's really well it is it is an amazing organization but i gotta say you know it all starts at the top and you have built and your vision has been felt and the ripples of your vision have been felt throughout the autism community so i'm excited that you're you know with all the things that have not been well lately i'm excited for the opportunities that come uh, from being forced to be digital. And I think it's going to bro broaden what you're doing that much more. And, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, and grateful that you're being cautious about going back to the other. But I got to say that we specifically invited you on today to talk about something else because we're friends on Facebook and you had posted something that really um, hit me right in the middle of the forehead. <laughs> well, it did. It did. We've been talking a lot on the show um, of late um, about Black Lives Matter um, and how important it is that we say that and that we live that and that we find a way to not, not only uh, support and help, but to stop being silently complicit or just being complicit. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that starts with each and every one of us. And I have said here that, you know, it, I need to take that very seriously um, and, and that I, I feel like as members of the autism community and as parents and individuals in the autism community, that we need to be taking that very seriously. And you said something on your post, you said, you know, who's ready to talk about, um, the, and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth and maybe you remember exactly what you said, but you said something a lot about, do you want to say what you said? Do you have yeah, it there in front I'm of you? I'm pulling it up because I, I forgot, but I, I have it on my Instagram somewhere. Okay. Uh, I said, I said, we haven't even begun to discuss how police brutality also affects young black men who have autism because racism doesn't care about your diagnosis when you're black. Being black with a disability is a double, double whammy when you live in America, or are we not ready to have that conversation? And I said, I'm, I'm ready to have that conversation. I think we need to have that conversation. And I said, will you come here and, and talk with us? Because I'm just going to say this. I think like a lot of people, um, you know, and I, I, I can't help but look in the mirror lately. And, and like, I don't notice on a regular basis how white I am. Can I, <laughs> can I be honest about that? Like, I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, look at how white I am. Um, but every day uh, recently I've been like, oh, look at how white I am. Um, and I need to be cognizant of that. And I just have to be honest. And I feel like a lot of us feel this way. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what to do. And, um, and I think we have to start having the conversation and be realistic about this. I, my heart is filled with sorrow and anger and fear, because I have seen this. I, I have seen this in our autism community before you, before you mentioned it, we all have, um, come on. And, uh, you know, I, and I, I'm going to be honest and say that in my life, because of how white my skin is, I don't get to see as much of it, um, unless it's on the news. Um, outside of our community, but I have seen it on the news. I can't pretend that I have not. Um, and and we need to we need to do something. I, but I want I want to hear from you, and I want you to help us to get our heads wrapped around what it is we need to do. Please. So um, wow, uh, you know, I, I just want to say thank you for uh, you know inviting me on the show to discuss this. It's something that is very. Um, near and dear to my heart. As you can see, I'm a black woman. Um, and even though I'm an immigrant, 
um, it doesn't matter where I'm, I'm still a black woman in this country. Like when somebody sees me, they, they you know, they tend to see my skin first. Um, and I have two black brothers who are very tall. Um, one is, they're both over six feet. And so when, 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 whenever I see um, on the news, just another, yet another black man killed, especially when he's unarmed, or if he is armed, he's carrying his, you know, his license trying to show you and you're shooting him, you know, in front of his family. You know, it's just like, will my brother come home today? Will my dad come home today? Um, and I think it's like, it's, um, it's a very, very emotional topic. And um, I'll, so I'll, so I'll just start with that. And then I'll address what I think, you know, um, white people can do uh, to, to be an ally and to be a part of, you know, uh, dismantling this, the, you know, the systematic oppression and systematic racism that exists in this country. Um, so, okay, so I have a lot of, I, I did a lot of research, so I might, I, hopefully I don't word vomit, um, but I just wanted to start out by saying, you know, um, George Floyd shouldn't be dead. Neither should Breonna Taylor, neither should, uh, neither should Eric Garner, neither should Tamir Rice, who was 12 years old, um, neither should Philando Castile, and the list goes on and on, but the fact remains that they are dead. And why are they dead and who killed them? You know, they, they were killed by police officers, individuals paid by our tax dollars to protect and serve. And the, the question now is like, why were they killed? And I think that that is like a very, very nuanced, a very, very deep seated reason. Um, you know, I got, I have some stats here, you know, um, you know, some stats that says, you know, according to According to, uh, actually, before I get to that one, it says black people are three times more likely to get killed by the police in the United States by white people. More unarmed black people are killed by the police uh, last year, and th th this was in 2015, so in 2014. And, and that's taking into account that black people are 14% of the population. And then to top that all off, 99% of the killings by police um, have, have not resulted in, 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 in any charge, in, in any of them being charged with a crime. So a lot of these crimes are going un, they're going unpunished. You know, so black, it's, it's like black lives and black bodies are just being disposed of like willy nilly, you know? Um, and so, 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 and, and, the, and the reason why this is happening is that there's something called uh, black, I think it's called black crime implicit bias where there's an inherent fear of black people in this country, especially black men. And so when the police approach them, you know, like black black people or black men are more likely to be perceived as suspects or perceived as um, aggressive, perceived as you know, uh, you know, assailant than 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 you know than than white people or than white men, you know. And I, I and that 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 fact or that that um yeah that that fact and that and that the the prob the probability of that is very very deep. Yeah, I, I can't get into that because we're gonna be here for five hours, you know. Right. Um, right. But it's it, the fact remains is that everybody everybody has implicit biases, and anybody that says that they don't is a, is lying. And in this country, because race is such a such a it's such a racially charged country, race there, there's a lot of implicit racial bias, and a lot of that is at the expense of black people, especially black men. And so pol police, pol like when, when, when police approach a situation, they shoot first before asking any questions. So now just imagine, you know, when, when, when it's a young black man who has autism, because, and then if, we, if you look at the, the features of autism, 
you know, there's, you know, challenges in communication, you know, um, and some, and sometimes these difficulties in communication can, can manifest in some aggression if, if they feel misunderstood or if they feel, you know, a sensory overload or they're stimming and, you know, there's difficulty understanding social situations and multi-step directives. So if, if a police sees, sees, sees a young man and says, uh, who has autism and says, oh, do X, Y, and Z, and he doesn't understand, and then they shoot, like, you know, there, there's, there's a heightened danger for young black men who have autism in this country as, as it relates to police brutality. Um, because, 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 you know, uh, George Floyd, he, he could say, I can't breathe. And they still didn't care. <laughs> they still didn't care about whether or not he can breathe for eight minutes and 46 seconds. They, he knelt on his neck. I know. Even though I he know. said he can't breathe, he said, you're killing me. And he's, and he can talk. He, he was able to, to communicate how he was feeling. Now imagine that that's a young black man who has autism that's nonverbal. Imagine that. So what do you do? And like I've read so many stories of like black, you know, black mothers who are young black with, with black children who have autism who are who are just terrified. They're terrified because how do you even after you explain to your child, you know, you know, when, if you see a police officer, you do X, Y, and Z. Many most black most black men have gotten that talk from their parents, but yet it, has, it doesn't stop the fact that th that these things keep happening. So I think the onus is not on is not on is not on the black mothers. It's not on the black on the on the young black men who have autism. It's on the system, and so we have to find ways to change the system. You know, like you know, it, and, and I know there's trainings already that exist. You know, for autism and police officers and things like that. But are the, do those trainings also include implicit bias training? How like how much training are people getting to to explore their implicit bias? Like I have implicit bias, you have implicit bias, we all have biases about things. And it's, it's, it's until we confront those biases and see how, how they inform our actions that we can make a different decision when we are faced with an, uh, like an object or, or something that, that, or stimulus that, that, that uh, or make, causes our, our biases to arise. And so I, and I think a lot of people just don't wanna, wanna admit that racism exists you know, you know, and, and or people just don't want to be called racist, and I, it's like, I get it, but it's like un unless you confront the actual issue, you're we're never going to get past it, you know. And I've 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 like I've, I've I was watching many things, you know, and it's it we make it sound as if racism is like this this like thing that just floats in on a cloud, you know, you know, just floats in like with ET, like phone home, you know. But that's not what's happening. It's 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 inside. Like this country is founded upon like pillaging and 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 oppression. And so, and do we think that, that those things are just going to go away? No, they're, 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 it's like it deeply embedded and we have to dig it out. We have to dig it up and, and look at it and, and just see that this is what it is. And then we can do something about it. You know, I think it's interesting because I, I have this thing I call compartmentalization, which I mean, it's not my thing, but in general, we have this thing where something works and we, we know something works in one area, but we don't see how it works across many areas. So for example, you know, in, uh, in alcohol, in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? The first step to, to, to solving issues is admitting that you have an issue. So if nobody ever admits that, there, that there's an issue, how can we ever solve the issue? And so I, I think that what to do in, in order to dismantle these systems, you know, I was talking to my dad yesterday or two days ago, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, like the, system, the, the systemic oppression, the systemic racism. But the thing is that systems consist of people. And, and, and we forget that, like, for example, like an organization, like we want to, we, like we want to talk about an organization, an organization that as if it's this, like this, you know, if this entity of its own, but an organization is made up of people, the people make up the organization. And so the, 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 the oppressive systems and the racist systems are made up of, pe of people who have racial biases. And so it's, it has to start with the actual, it has to start with each individual 
taking a look within and seeing, okay, what are my biases and how are they showing up in, in my life, in my work, in, in my interaction with people? And it's no, no, nobody's saying be perfect. Nobody's saying, oh, you can never have any biases. What, what, what is being asked, asked is to look at your biases and see how that, that affects, how that affects you and how that affects the way you interact with other people. You know, like for example, Amy Cooper, who was the lady at Central Park, who you know who called the who, the the um uh, a, a black man was telling her to put to put her dog away in in a, like a you know like a leash a leash you know a, an area of the park where you have to have your dogs on a leash, and she called the cops, and she says I'm you know this black man is you know doing X Y and Z, so she knew what she was doing, and then later yeah, on, first she, she threatened, she first she threatened, threatened I'm going to call them and call the cops. She threatened him with with police brutality. So it's like it's people know that these things exist. Like it's not a, it's not like a something that you know black people are just like you know imagining yeah. in their head and just waking up like oh wow you know this, this is something that really exists. And even after Amy Amy Cooper did this, oh hold on a minute please. Absolutely. Uh, and we've had a couple of comments that have come in too that I want oh, to address before we get okay. too far. Do you need to okay. take that? Uh, yeah, let's let's take that. Let's take that. Okay, so, and it was sort of at the beginning when you were talking and somebody wrote in, and I, I think your question was probably answered, but I do want to address it. Somebody said, is this about autism? And I want to make sure that everybody realizes that it absolutely is about autism because this is the world in which we are giving our children and asking the world to take them in and for them to take the world in. So on a very basic level, whatever the world is struggling with, our kids are going to struggle with times eight maybe times a hundred, depending on, you know, what the difficulty is and what our, what our child's abilities are or what our abilities are for those of you who are watching who are on the spectrum. So it absolutely is about autism and we don't have to go far to see exactly what Ifunanya is talking about. I mean, we covered extensively the, the situation of the autism therapist who was working with a person with autism in the parking lot and despite identifying himself as someone who was working with a child ended up being shot by the police, although he was completely unarmed. We don't have to go far to look for these examples and see that this is happening to individuals who are on the autism spectrum and they don't have the ability to communicate. Right. Um, and I also, but, but I also want to point out, somebody else wrote in and said that I have to say that discrimination doesn't affect only African-American people. It happens daily in different ways to Spanish people as well. And, and, and they are not the only ones. Um, let's be very honest that there are different groups that have been oppressed in lots of different ways. I, I, nobody is trying to minimize that. And I want to make sure that everybody understands um, that that's not what's happening here. But we have a, a horrible epidemic of individuals who are, are and whatever words you wanna use, they used African-American, whether you wanna say black, African-American, whether you wanna say that it's people of color or brown or whatever, we are seeing that the police, as you've said, that there are biases, that when the situation starts before anything else happens, in, in ABA parlance, we have establishing operations that are affecting what happens. And that you can talk about everything else that's happening, but that thing is there first before anyone does anything. And that's what we have to acknowledge and, and what we have to work on as individuals. Um, I agree. I, and, and the thing is that, so I actually have a couple more stats. So yeah, go for it. Uh, advocacy group Autism Unites. 
people with autism spectrum disorders are seven times more likely to interact with police over their lifetime compared with people without a cognitive disorder, right? And then, and then I have a quote from, from, from a, a mother of a young black man who has autism. Um, and, he, and she says, he's black male on autistic, she says. I never know if he'll be accosted. You ask questions later and you shoot first. It's happened too many times all over this nation. And so, and so the question is, is it about autism? Um, yes, I mean, yes it is because there are young black men who have autism. And, 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 when, and if these implicit bias, biases exist within the police officers who are going to be approaching them, then that is the first way that they're interacting is the color of their skin. And, and then it, questions are asked later. If, if, they, if, if they see a, 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 a young black man who maybe can't, can't necessarily communicate, maybe he's nonverbal, maybe he's stimming, or, or maybe he's, oh, he's, he's overstimulated and something's happening and he, maybe he's flapping his arms and the police officers don't know what, what's going on. If, if, there's, if, if they have that implicit racial bias, they're going to approach that situation as, oh, this man is likely you know, an assailant. He's likely a suspect of something as opposed to he's a victim or he's having a hard time. And so I think it's important that, 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 we, that, that we look at it that way. I'm not saying that black people are the only people that have been oppressed or that, that, that have been, um, that, that, you know, that, that, are, that are discriminated against. That, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What, what, what I'm saying is like, I'm focusing right now on, on black people, but that, that's not excluding everybody else on other groups who who have been oppressed or um, discriminated against, but I, I am focusing on specifically right now on young black men who have autism. Yes, and 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 that is a reality. Yeah. Um, that is an absolute reality, and we as a community have a have have a responsibility to um, talk about this. It gets sticky. It gets uncomfortable. I you know I I. Like it's not how we want to spend our Tuesday morning. It's not how anybody wants to spend our Tuesday morning. But one of the things that was most uh, emotional to me is the picture of the mom on the street corner handing the sign saying, when George Floyd called out for his mom, he was calling to every single mom that there is. And I just want to say that as moms of young men, uh, children on the spectrum, young men, uh, not young men, we have a responsibility to hear that. And, and we have to acknowledge, my son is on the spectrum and I worry about him interacting with the police, but let me be abundantly clear. I know that my son can walk down the street and if he were stopped by the police, it would be a different inter interaction than if my son were black. That's just a fact. And that fact is borne out by data um, that is just a fact. And if, and I can't be okay with that. I don't know how anybody can be okay with that. It's not right. Um, but again, I go back to, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I, so speak, so speaking of, you know, knowing what to do, I do have some solutions that I've been kind of thinking up and they're, they're not necessarily novel solutions, but I think it's just like maybe a novel uh, interaction of, of, of different solutions. So um, so like, like I mentioned earlier, there are some autism focused law enforcement trainings um, but I, I'm curious to know if any of these trainings also take into, take into account implicit bias training. I think that could be one way that, that, that we infuse that, right? Um, there's also, the, there's also this, this big move to defund the police, and I think it's a very misunderstood move. Um, it's not saying, you know, get rid of police officers. It's saying um, so, some police officers have 
taking over, there's too much responsibility on police officers. You know, they're handling, you know, mental health situation, mental health crises and et cetera. So in, in, instead of doing that, let's, let's, let's put some of the funding that, that, that we put into the police, into other entities and other com community based. Like uh, social workers. Yeah, like, yes. These yeah. other professionals that that can respond to different things in our community as opposed to law enforcement. And even and just just to just add one more stat, right? So um in I, I there's a an article that I read in a former police officer set set Stoughton. Um he's now a professor at the University of South uh, South Carolina. Um, police, like the, the way that police are trained, there's 60 hours of use of deadly force in, in police training. Right, and then just over sixty hours of self-defense. However, there are only eight hours of training uh, about of de-escalation and, and resolution training in, in 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 police training. Yeah. So, so, so a bulk of the time is spent on training uh, police officers how to be essentially just militarizing police officers how how, how, to, how to protect themselves and and how to use deadly force. Although the 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 their slogan is to protect and serve. So if if you if if all you're worried about is just protecting yourself and use of deadly force, then at what point are you are you worried about protecting yeah. whoever whoever you're 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 attending to? So I think that we we need to find ways to you know reform the the, the police training. There needs to be a lot more focus on de-escalation. Um, de-escalation and that 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 de-escalation is not not gonna, not gonna just work for the autism community but just across the board yes. it allows you to ask questions before you pull your weapon so just more train more de-escalation training in fact there probably should be more training on de-escalation techniques and tactics than there is on use of deadly force you know and then once again um, having some kind of implicit bias training or imp implicit bias um, evaluation done uh, before becoming a police officer because you know it, that, that's that, that in the same way that you know of course it's not necessarily all the way parallel but in the same way that that that, that you know doctors spent you know almost a decade learning their their, their how, how to do their job because it's a life or death situation police officers are also in a life or death situ, uh, situation type of job and so there, there needs to be a lot more time a lot more training a lot more weeding out of people um and, and it's be a, it must be a lot harder to become a cop and so, so that by by the time you you, you get to get to the end of, the end of that journey, you you are well equipped to not to not always just you know engage your fight or flight response, you know, and to be afraid and to react out of fear because you can't do that as a police officer because because your 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 reaction from fear can 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 kill somebody. So I think there needs to be a lot more training on just like you know um, self awareness training, implicit bias training, um, a lot more de escalation training um, with with within within the. Um, within you know the, the police training and then just in general i think just i i would just urge everybody to just ask their, their, their themselves questions about their motivations and their intentions when they do things you know um and and that's going to reveal to you the areas of your biases and once you once you're aware of that you can then make a, a different decision on how you approach situations and how you know how you allow your biases to to, to, in, to affect or color your interactions with people Somebody has written in and said, my son was cuffed and had guns on him just because he had a meltdown. This was in Lake Worth, Florida in 1997. And, and you know, here on Autism Live, we read stories, unfortunately, close to every week where there are interactions with the police where it's an individual on the autism spectrum. And a lot of times it doesn't end well. Um, it, it doesn't end well. And I, and I have to say, you know, that... Um, it, it is um, a lot of the times uh, it's, it's, every, it's every color in the rainbow, right? So this is, uh, but I, I would bet that if we were to do a stat chart on it, we would see that, you know, an individual 
like just like matching the real world, if you if your skin is darker, your outcome is likely to be darker, and that that is not okay. Um, but on a very uh, you know on a very simple basis, we we I think we all need to say that what we're doing isn't working, and that we got to look at different ways. And I I can't speak to the rest of the world, but oh did I lose you, Ifunanya? Uh, there you are. Uh, okay, uh, I I got to say that. Um, you know, it's, it's very clear, the statistics have been in for quite a while that what we're doing is not working. We have real problems on the street that, that do not require, um, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like having a, a thread that's pulled on your pants and trying to take a hammer to take care of it, right? We have people that have, uh, we, know, we know that there's homeless people on the street that are, have some uh, diagnosable mental illness we know that there are people who have learning disabilities that are on the street. We know that there are people who have drug issues. We don't need to take a hammer to take care of that problem. And guess what? We've tried that. It's not working. It's not helping the situation. And people are dying. And predominantly, those are people of color. If we aren't willing to look at it, our kids are a part of that equation. Yeah. And, and we have to as a community, I feel that we have to, have to, have to face this. Uh, somebody said, yes, more training is needed and they need to meet more autistic people before they are called out. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I think, I think that that's a part of it. And we've, we've told our families, you know, you, you, we have to take responsibility, talk to our children, take them to the, the police department, have them meet the, the folks there. But for some people, that in and of itself is traumatic. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. You know, like, um, you know, like kind of going back to like many, most of my 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 black friends who are who are men who who don't have autism don't they're afraid of the police. Seeing a yeah. police officer is not a welcome sight because because it's right. because there's profiling, there's this and there's that, and so so like you know, take take taking your child to, to the uh, a police station is. It's terrifying, but once again, yes. I think it's important to say that I think yes, I think parents should, you know, train, you know, do their best, you know, to to prepare their their children who have autism, you know, with you know encounters with the police, you know, using social stories and things like that. You know, visuals are really are really helpful, which I'm sure you guys you guys already know. But I think the I think it's important to mention that the onus is not on the on the families. Right. It's not on the families. It's not it's, it's not on the individual. You know. Who, who has autism it's on the individuals who are in the system it's it's on yes. the police officers it's it's on the system to change the system has to change not we, the, the the individual shouldn't change because our tax dollars are, our tax dollars are funding the system so it's like we're paying for this so we should we, the system should change it, we shouldn't change you know um and so i think it's important to mention that you know while i i know i i do think it's important you know you know as a parent to do to do your due diligence in training your your son or daughter who has autism you know in you know interact with the police and you know just like you know and i think the most important the or the, the largest effort should be placed on ensuring that police officers know how to de-esc properly de-escalate a situation because that's their job their yeah. job is their job is to de-escalate situations. It's to protect and serve. How do you protect and serve somebody with deadly force? You cannot do that. That's not right. protecting. That's that's that that's assailing. 
you're the assailant in that situation. So I think it's important that 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 you know police officers are taught how to properly de-escalate a situation and to have training that spans across many different intersectionalities, not not just race, but also ability slash disability um, and etc. You know, um, what, you know they need to have experience and training on how to de-escalate a situation that 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 involves a person with. Uh, you know, that, that's having a, you know, a mental health challenge or a better yet, let's just get somebody else who's more, who's better task at that instead of having the police officer come and do that. Yes. Yes. We have other people who are better trained for that. And, yeah. and I think, you know, that that is the part of the argument that isn't, people are trying to highlight it, but it, it seems to be lost in words are so important and right. words ma matter yeah. and across the board. And um, a lot of people are misunderstanding when they say defund the police that, that they, the fear that I'm hearing from people about lost lawlessness and um, that the police will be gone. That is not, that's not what anybody is saying. Um, the suggestion is that we better serve the population that we have and that we not use a hammer when we need a thread and needle. Right. Um, and, and, and that we all need to get better training. I, I do agree with you that I'm always trying to give parents something that they can hold on to that they can do, but, but the, I, that hasn't worked. Like we've been telling parents for eight years, you know, take your kids to the police department, teach your kids, show them, you know, it, it hasn't worked in terms of it's not changing on the other side. And I don't think anything is going to change unless enough of us say enough. Right, exactly. So, so yeah, like, yeah, so I think, you know, like for parents, you know, um, using social stories, you know, if, if you if you want to do something at home, using some kind of social story, I do think it's important to talk to your kids about race, whether or not you think that they are able to, you know, fully comprehend that in that moment. Um, but I think it's important for them to understand that, uh, understand how, you know, like the social landscape, because that is a part of social skills. Um, uh, but I think that once again, you know, as you do your part as a parent, I, I just want to make it make it clear that the onus is on law enforcement to respond appropriately and respond better to, de to learn how to deescalate, increase the, the, the deescalation training and, you know, add a very, very large serving of implicit bias training, and implicit bias evaluation. Those things are very, very important in making sure that, that the system actually changes. Because, because if, if we don't do any of these things, the system will remain the same and we'll continue to have the, the, the same outcomes. Um, and then once again, let's, let, let's, let's, let's find ways to invest into other resources that are better suited for, for responding to different things in our community as opposed to just having law enforcement respond to everything. Because I don't think that, that, that that's, that's that, I don't think that that is necessarily their domain. There's too much, they have too much jurisdiction, jurisdiction over things that is, are not their expertise or their specialty. So I think that we need to bring in more people into our communities that have a specialty in, in these different areas, you know, so you know, for, for things that have, are mental health related, get somebody who's, who, who's, who's in, the, in, the, in the mental health community for things that are, you know, just, uh, just, just diff, different, find different professionals, you know, because they exist, people, people go to school for these things and, and they have deep expertise in these things. So let's, let's pull them into our communities and have them be the ones that, that are um, providing the solutions to, to, the, to those areas, as opposed to just having law enforcement or police officers doing everything across the board. Absolutely. And I think one of the big misunderstandings is about the implicit bias yeah. um, that I think, I think we all like to think, well, that's not me. 
Yeah. I'm not racist and I don't feel that way. And so I don't, you know, I don't take ownership of that. And there was a woman in the eighties. I wish I could remember what her name was, who would go around. She was a, she was a little white woman. I'm just going to say that, but she would go around and she would do these classes at businesses. And, um, I can't remember whether, see, this is how old I am. I can't remember whether she was, you're not 20 years old. I don't believe you. Or, or whether, it might've been on Oprah, but um, she had a room full of people, every color in the rainbow. And, and, you know, and she was saying to all of them, do any of you think that you're racist? And of course they were like, no, um, no, not, not at all. We're not, not, not at all. And, um, and so she said, reach under, I reach underneath your chair with something along this line. And everybody had a box of Crayola crayons. And she said, I would like for you to reach into the box and I would like you to take out the crayon that is, that is named flesh. And everybody like took out the crayon and everybody had a light bulb moment. Now Crayola has since changed and they, you know, there, there was this color that was like this, you know, I think now it's called peach, right? But that was the color that Crayola and it was in every single school around the world that this is the color of flesh. Yeah. And we all didn't notice it. Yeah. And, and honestly, recently Crayola came out with a box of crayons that it's calling the colors of the world that are its flesh colors. And I think that that's, that's a real shift in the way that we look at things. But I just want you to think about how insidious that little thing was that I grew up with and I didn't notice, and I would not have said, okay, there's implicit bias, but yeah. that's just one example. And uh, Jane Elliott, Traven is saying that the woman's name was. Look oh, yeah, up. yes, I know. She wears, I think she wears glasses. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I forget what I, I was watching something or I was reading something. It's been a lot of things that, you know, I've been consuming a lot of information, but essentially it's, it's impossible. Like, you know, every day, like we grow up you know, you know, in psychology, there's priming, like, you know, there's like, we, we literally grow up with messages about different things in our lives every day. And so it's impossible to think that, that we have not, um, what's the word, internalized any of those things. Yes. And so, and I, I think it's important that, that we remain humble um, and remain uh, teachable. Um, and, and once, once, when we have that, that, that heart position, then it, it won't be hard for us to see, you know, uh, you know, where our implicit bias is like, everybody has implicit bias. They're not all racially charged, but they, but they're all implicit and they're all biases, you know? And so I think that it's important that, that we, once again, like the, what I, what I try to do is, and I'm not perfect. You know, I, there's, there's times I'm like, oh, that was a bias. You know, I do something. And I'm like, oh yeah, let's, let, let's work on that. Let, let's explore why I feel that way about that thing. But I think ask, asking ourselves questions about stuff, you know, asking ourselves questions about why did I react that way? Why does that bother me? You know, why do I feel afraid right now? You know, just things like that. You know, like when 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 your your body's giving you like all your feelings and your emotions are cues and clues for you to to discover more about you know your the, the way that that you're 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 built. Um, and so I think that you know asking ourselves questions about our intentions and our motivations is going to be a very very important tool. I think it's important that we all do that. Um, you know, everything like, you know, like if, if, if somebody walks by and I, and I, and I, I, you know, I do this, I'm like, okay, why did I just do this? 
did, yeah. was this person actually really threatening to me or was it just like I was I just assuming something because I watched something on TV many years ago and it, it, it indicates to me that this person should be I should be afraid of this person um, and so I think just you know asking ourselves why remaining humble and remaining teachable I think is going to be very very important and and you know I also want to say I mean I'm not an expert at this but children children watch you know I don't have any kids of my own but I can't wait you know um, yes. Yes. watch us you know and <laughs> You know, there's something called priming once again in psychology we we don't know that we're learning things but we're learning things so children are watching us so the, so the way that we respond to things you know the, in, in as 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 human beings as as parents not that i'm a parent but as parents your children are are absorbing those without even knowing that they're absor absorbing the, the you know those you know interactions and, and the, the, you know those um the, the those ideologies so i think just you know remain, remaining um curious Remaining humble, remaining teachable, I think is going to be very, very important. In us begin to uncover our implicit bias, and, and not and not to be afraid of of, of claiming that you have a bias, and, and, and you know, just like don't be afraid of that. Like like once again, nobody's perfect, no one. And so for us to think that 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 we are is, I think that's like that's crazy. <laughs> nobody's perfect, no one. And so, and so if we know that we're not perfect, then, then that means every day is an opportunity for us to learn and to be taught something new about ourselves. And so remaining curious, um, not if somebody says something about says something that, that they receive from you, don't immediately say, oh no, that's not me. You know, inquire why. I wonder, I wonder why this person received that from me. I wonder yeah. why this person felt this way about what I did. And and at the end, at the end of your, your curiosity about that, you may say, well, it may just be a them thing, right? It may just be a them thing. Or you may discover, wow, it may, a lot of it is a them thing, but I see, I can see how they would perceive this from me and how can I what, what can I do with this information that I have? So I think, you know, just being being teachable, being humble, um, and just knowing that nobody's perfect and knowing that, you know, and just you know, having a learning spirit, I think is gonna be very important in us just really uncovering it, you know. So you know, for, you know, if there are, are, you know, individuals out there, you know, white people who are out there that want to know how to do, and, and not just white people, really everybody, black people, you know, uh, uh, Latinx people, everybody can, can be more curious about themselves, about their motivations, about their intention. You know, in ABA, we know that, we know that behaviors, uh, there's a function for every behavior. We know this in, within the autism community. That's, that, that doesn't just exist in autism community. Let's not compartmentalize that. That is across the board. There's a function for every behavior, even if you're not uh, on the autism spectrum. So in the same way that, that, that you approach that, you know, approach your kids with that, who may have autism, approach yourself with that. Like, what's the function for my behavior? Yes. Uh, taking us to church. Thank you. <laughs> I, know that, I know that unfortunately we got to let you go because you got a meeting that you got to go to. I see my meeting already started. But... I'm sorry. And I can I just tell you how much I adore you and respect you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you said what you said on Facebook and then we're willing to come on here and talk about it. Please, you guys check out Jazz Hands for Autism. Um, this is an amazing woman doing amazing things and you're a leader. And I'm so glad we had this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. I know, I know I, I want to try to be better. I want to be more humble. I want to be more open. I want to be more teachable. Um, so thank you for giving us that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I thank you for all the, all the, everybody who commented. I do. Well, I, I'm just so appreciative of your varied opinions and, and your, and your, um, and your, and your input. 
Um, thank you for you know participating and engaging in this conversation. And you know, I think it's a conversation they need to have more of, even if it's not here. Have it in your family. Have you know, have it in your home. Whatever it may be. I think we need to have these hard conversations and not be afraid to be wrong and to be and to be teachable and to learn. So I really appreciate this time, and I pray that we all continue to be teachable and humble. You know, myself included. I you know I I learn something about by myself every day, and so I pray that we all have that experience of learning something new about ourselves every day in ways that we can improve and move forward better and more improved. So I really appreciate this time and, you know, many blessings and well. I pray that, you know, our country sees, you know, more progress, you know, more humility um, and just more equity and equality for everybody. Amen. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Okay. We'll be in have touch soon. Thank Bye. you. Goodbye. Um, that was the amazing Ifunanya Wiki. Hopefully I said that right. Um, okay, we said that we were gonna do jargon a little bit later on if we had time and we do have time. And, and I just wanna say before we get into that, I just, I, I thank you guys for hanging. I know it's uncomfortable. And, um, and I know that uh, feelings come up and, and um, I love that she was saying to us, we need to talk to ourselves and say, why am I feeling that way? Why does this bother me? Why is this, you know? Uh, what is it about this that is scary to me? Or uh, what, is it, what is it about this that feels, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and we can start there. We can absolutely start there because for our, our kids' sake and our society case, we, we got to start somewhere, right? Okay, but it is time for jargon of the day. This is where we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what are the experts talking about. We give you the actual definition I try to make fun of the actual definition because, you know, really what else can you do? And then um, I we give you a working definition that's a little less specific, but hopefully it'll help you. And it's sneaky today because our jargon term for today is receptive language and you'll see why it's sneaky. So let's take a look. You probably have heard this term um, if you are, especially if you have, uh, anyone that you love in your family that's on the spectrum and you're talking to people at school, they talk a lot about expressive language and receptive language. So what's the difference? What's receptive language? Because this is something that we all need to strengthen, especially in these times. Let's take a look at our actual definition. Receptive language is the process of attending to communication, spoken or non-vocal, comprehending the communication and being able to react appropriately within a specific specific time parameter, even when what is being conveyed contains multiple facets. Okay, as definitions go, it's not the worst. It's a little wordy and it doesn't really get down easily to what we're talking about. Although Trayvon, I'm gonna wanna come back to this, but let's go to the working definition of receptive language. It's the child or an individual's ability to understand what is being said to them. But just understand that what's being said to you is said to you on a lot of different planes. Receptive means the, you know, what we're open to, what we you know, hear, what we take in, right? So um, for instance, let's say that the teacher is at the front of the classroom and she does this. You know, she raises the stink eye eyebrow and goes, to one of the students. Now, um, hopefully the student would be someone who can understand, okay, I was just doing what I was doing. I looked up and the teacher was looking at me that way. What does that mean? 
that means that she's unhappy with what I'm doing and I should stop, right? But not every child, not every individual will be able to read the facial expressions to understand what's going on. But that is a part of receptive language. If the teacher points at the person and goes like that, understanding, you know, I'm talking to you and I want you to go over there and I'm not happy because I could have been like, you know, pointing at you and going like that, right? But I didn't, I pointed and I went, right? And my face was doing something and all together, uh, you know, I was sending the, I'm disapproving of what you're doing and you better get over there because I'm not happy, right? Um, that's receptive language too, just as clearly as if I said to somebody, stop what you're doing and get over there, right? So receptive language is the ability to listen with all of your senses and to take in, in information in a time parameter which, in which you can react that, that we're gonna call um, an appropriate, I don't wanna say normal because there's nothing normal about it, but an appropriate amount of time. So what we see sometimes is that some kiddos have receptive language that they can take it in, but it's like on a tape delay. So the teacher will go, right? And the student doesn't go immediately. They got to think it through and they're like, okay, was she pointing at me? What is, what is it that she wants me to do? Why is her face that way? And the time that it, amount, that it mounts for, amounts to them figuring it out, the teacher already wanted it to happen. So now the situation escalates. You see what I'm saying? Because the teacher is like, now you're being disobedient too. Um, so for those kiddos, we just want to sharpen up the amount of time that it takes for them to process, right? But there are other kiddos that receptive language is not their strong suit, and it might be that they take in um, the vocal instructions and they hear it and they react well, or it could be that they don't respond um, to vocal instructions, right? That it's better to hold up a picture that their body processes that quicker. Uh, there are some kids that are not good at facial expressions, right? So there's lots of different types of receptive language, but I want us to start with ourselves right now. Think about, you know, where are your receptive language strengths and where are your weaknesses? I am horrible at hand signals. Oh my gosh, it gives me so much anxiety when I pull up to a traffic stop and there is somebody who's directing traffic, whether it's in a parking lot of a baseball stadium and it's, you know, it's like a person who's had two days training or whether it's like, you know, there's really amazing traffic cops that have the whistles and they do whatever. Total anxiety because I have no idea what they're saying to me. Me going to Disneyland and getting parked, we usually have my husband drive into the parking lot because there's somebody there going like this. And I end up having to pull up, roll my window down and go, what does that mean? There are three different directions here and you're going like this. Which direction do you want me to go? I just can't figure it out. It's not my strong suit. I don't know why, but it's not the thing I'm good at. Uh, whereas, you know, if somebody says to me, now listen, you want to go down here and you want to turn to the left and then you want to go to the right and then you want to go past the tree and go to the left and then you want to go to the right when you get to the blue house, right? Now that, if I'm paying attention, I can follow. Whereas other people go, you lost me at the first tree. Um, so where are your receptive language strengths? Uh, when are you good at listening? When are you not good at listening? I also know that for me, um, I don't know whether it's, you know, other things, but I have sensory issues. 
And if you give me something to hold on to, I can listen better. I just can. And I learned that my son was that way too. That if I gave him something to hold on to, you could read to him and he could hear. But if you take the thing away, he needed something to do, right? And I'm exactly that way. And my mother was that way too. Um, but other people, it's the exact opposite. If you're trying to talk to them and they're holding something, forget it. It's like it diminishes their ability to hear. So understanding receptive language first within ourselves and, and knowing like, oh, where am I good with receptive language? And, and, and in general, um, you know, we have expressive language, which is the ability to talk and receptive language, which is the ability to take in. Um, and I gotta say, you know, it's not gonna come as a shock to you that my expressive language is better than my receptive language. But what about you? What's, which one is stronger for you? And then you wanna think about which one is stronger for your child. And it's not unusual for a child on the spectrum to have very little receptive or expressive language and for one of them to jump up before the other. And I gotta say that my son's receptive language jumped up well before his expressive, but then his expressive passed his receptive. So he's much more like me now that uh, expressive is his strong suit. Um, and he's learning to take in still uh, facial, look, I'm learning <laughs> to take in uh, facial expressions and to imply from them after looking at the whole situation, what they might mean. So all of us right now could be working on a receptive language. As I watch the news at night when I can, I think, oh, we all need to do more perspective taking and we all need to look, work on our receptive language. We need to read the cues. We need to see what's happening and listen, right? Okay, moving on. We always have uh, a question of the day and our question for you today is what is your favorite sound? What is the thing that you hear and you know gives you peace or happiness or, um, Obviously, I love to hear my son laugh. Oh my gosh, there's just really nothing better than that, right? Um, and, and I would tell you that one of my son's favorite sounds is when I laugh so hard that I can't breathe. Um, he loves that, I know, because it's just he's doing that thing. Mom's laughing and he'll run into the room to, to hear what, 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 what was it that made you laugh that way? Um, but I also, there are certain guitar sounds that I just absolutely love. Um, you know, different musical instruments that I love um, and some that I don't love <laughs> that aren't my favorite. But what's your favorite sound? Um, we all need to be taking care of ourselves, even though, you know, we've talked about so much that's anxiety provoking. Everybody needs to be soothing ourselves in ways that are positive and sound is, is really a great way. I urge you guys to listen to some music today. And our topic this week um, on the show here is what are you focused on? Now, today we took some time and we focused on something that I think needs to be focused on, that we, we have a responsibility, especially in the autism community, to focus on this and to be a part of the solution um, and, and to be mindful that we are a part of this and that we need to find the solution. I think that that's super important and you can disagree with me, right? But what are we focused on in general? And, and I got to say, the reason why I think it's important to us is that if we are not inclusive as a community, if we are not about justice and about justice for all, 
if we do not say to the world, it is important to look at more than the color of someone's skin, the more um, important to look at someone for more than just their outward ability, then it will be to the detriment of our community. It will absolutely be to the detriment of our community. We have an opportunity, we have a voice, um, we need to speak up um, for our community. And, um, and our community is hurting, um, let's be honest. So, uh, I, I, you know, I want, I want you to consider what you're focusing on right now I hope that there's something positive that you have going on, um, that's something in the future. You know, I, I shared many, many, many weeks ago, I showed you guys like you can garden in your, um, in your windowsill. Um, and then eventually I went out and dug up a part of our lawn and said, I'm, I have to plant something. I, I, and it was a, a spiritual need of mine that I needed to plant something because when I saw that we were in this for a period of time, that is what I have done in the past when something is hard um, and it's gonna take a lot of time and I'm, I'm impatient and I don't wanna wait is that I plant something because there's nothing like planting something and, and with a hope and a wish and going, I'm putting this seed in the ground where I can no longer see it and I'm gonna pour water on it and then I'm gonna see what happens. And, you know, when I got to be honest with you, seven days later after I planted the garden and, you know, it was a really long seven days because I was like, I don't know that anything's going to come up. You know, I paid for good seeds, but I don't know what's going to come up. And that's life. Right. And then when stuff started breaking through, it was like, look at that. Look at that. And now um, my garden is in that sort of wonky stage where it's all green and lush and everything, but there's nothing productive. Um, and now is a moment when I have to take particular care to see that things, you know, the time and the effort that things come to fruition. And this is all a metaphor for me of life and dealing with hard things and to see, you know, I, I see my little bean uh, vines and they, they twirl to try to find something to grab onto. And I feel that way right now. I feel like I'm, let's grab on, let's grab onto each other. Let's grab on and let's grow. Um, but it takes time. But to see my garden five weeks later, it is, it is a life-affirming thing to me to see that, yes, you can plant seeds. And if you water them, things come up and it changes the face of the earth. And it can nourish you and it can nourish the ground and it can provide shelter. And um, it's amazing what's possible. And we are just like those plants and we can invest in ourselves. You can plant a seed today. What is the seed that you want to plant? And then you got to water it and you got to tend it and you got to see, you know, uh, I got, I got one plant that's like looking like, uh, it might have some sort of disease or something. I'm going to have to look at that. Right. But, um, let's do something positive today. Be nice to yourselves. Be nice to each other. We're going to be back tomorrow. And hey, tomorrow we have Dr. Doreen Grampichet back. And that's going to be wonderful. We haven't had her for weeks. And you guys can be writing in your questions right now for her. Uh, it's going to be a great week. I, I didn't say this. Maybe I did say this before. That on Thursday, we're going to replay the Temple Grandin episode that we did a week ago with um, Temple, where she was talking about 
finding and feeding our kids' passions. We, we're going to replay that episode on Thursday. And on Friday, we're going to replay last Friday's Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy with myself, Nancy Oswald-Jackson, and Matt Nava Pasquitz asner um, We're going to replay that. Um, and I'm taking a couple of days off. I know it's just not like me in this, um, but I need to be helping to put together the memorial for Joanne Laura, which we're going to tell you more about because we're going to be hosting it. And, um, and it's a week from Saturday. And so I need to put together some things and I need some time to do that. You know what I'm saying? But we're gonna be back strong next week, all week. And I just appreciate you guys so much. I know it's tough time, but I appreciate you being here with me. We hold hands, we get through this together. Yeah. I will see you tomorrow with Dr. Grand Pichet. Keep the good thought. Uh, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.